Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Yes, you are you're hearing this correctly. Baseball is back. Woo! No, you have no right to woo, you negative Nancy. Baseball's back. Triple Play Fantasy Baseball show here to give you an emergency pod with the return of baseball. Doesn't mean we're not gonna talk about the negative stuff down the road and what this means for the sport. Right now we know spring training is starting July 1st with the 60-game regular season starting the weekend of July 24th to July 26th. Play baseball, baby. Love it. I love it. Art, I'm talking to you first because I don't want to talk to that negative guy over there. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I I have complicated thoughts. I'm a little bit disappointed that it's happening because it's just being implemented. Uh, the 33-5 to 5 vote by the players against the 60-game offer, to me, I I can't wrap my mind around what they're doing. Like We're going to get into the details of this. There are details, and they're still coming in, and we are just, this. like we said, this is going to be this is going to be a little bit weird. This is going to be a little bit wild from us. My thoughts are, I'm so glad we're going to get baseball. My, my, my heart is thumping in my chest. The, fa- the way we're getting it is a little bit disappointing. That's my very first thought. Yes, and again, I want to highlight that this is raw reactions, guys. I, we usually try to be very clean and, and, and prepare when we talk on this show. Um, but these are, I mean, live tweets are coming in. So we're, 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 this is raw and uncut. We're trying to give you our raw emotions on this. And, and speaking of, of Twitter, Carl Ravis just tweeted out, if the players can report by July 1st, of which when they're supposed to, MLB will honor the agreement they believe that they had a, last week for a 60-game season without an expanded postseason, which they'll revisit one more time. And no DH. 60 at a full uh, full pay is better than the 48.54 that was originally talked about and making a deal on the expanded postseason. So there's a lot of factors here, and I think more will keep coming out as the night goes along. Again, at the end of the day, baseball is back. We have a date when spring training is starting. It's literally going to start in a little over a week. This is so exciting. Eric, what what do you want to say to you and every single negative person that said no baseball was happening? The floor is yours, Mr. Negative. I mean, you act like I hate baseball and uh, that I just come on these podcasts to kill time. I've wanted baseball. I was trying to be more realistic and prepare for the worst. I think this is the the quote from The Dark Knight. It's like, uh, Gotham City didn't get the hero they deserved or what the one they needed. That's how I feel about Jeff Passan. Jeff, you just made my night, man. And you're probably not listening to this, but I love you. And uh, very excited to talk about baseball when it actually comes back. You know, we've talked about drafts and we've talked about strategies and rankings. 
And now we can finally see, even in this shortened season, how these players are going to perform. And I think one thing you speak about players, one thing let's not forget here that there have not been yet filed uh, grievances filed from the MLBPA yet. And there are going to be players that sit out this season. It's already started happening in the NBA players announcing they're not going to play when NBA starts. There will be players that are not going to join and have and, and be part of this season, which I think is the next uh, dominoes to start falling from this. And so I think that will be something that's going to be interested to keep an eye on. Um, but again, at the end of the day, at this point, they're waiting on the health and safety protocols given by the Players Association, and they're waiting for players to report on July 1st for spring training is pretty much the two takeaways that's that's coming from this. So, uh, guys, I mean, there's so much uncertainty right now. And, again, this is live, and, and, and there's still so many details that have not come out yet. Um, do you think that this 60-game season at the end of the day is going to be more exciting for baseball or is it going to be just a huge just mess and everything's just going to be all over the place because i think that there's a chance that it can either a provide a lot more excitement in pretty much a, a little over a third of a season but then if uh, the top players decide to sit out it's going to be just horrible a horrible product on the field and it's going to be just an empty shell of what it could be so art i'll start with you what do you think is going to transpire when players do play i think well i i I think the amount of players who actually sit out is going to be small. That's my that's my guess. I think that leading up to it, there's going to be a lot of talk about the implications of the 60-game season, and then the first pitch is going to happen, and people are going to realize we have baseball back. People are going to watch uh, 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 Max Scherzer swearing at a batter uh, uh, saying – GD, I'm going to effing strike you out. I'm going to get you UB, you know, and they're <laughs> going to get pumped. I think the, the, the saving grace of this is that it gets us baseball and baseball itself, not the players and not the owners. The, the, the game is going to save this from from the players and the owners. That's my thought on it. Eric, what about yours? Yeah, I think like Art mentioned, um, you know, this has been the what everybody's talked about the negotiations because there hasn't been other sporting events, but there's an element of recency bias. And I'll, I'll use an example with Alex Rodriguez, you know, very popular growing up and then the huge steroid scandal. And he was booed, you know, every time he took an at bat, wherever he visited. And then towards the end of his career started getting cheered again. And now as an analyst for ESPN and the steroids aren't really brought up. And I think that's, what's going to happen with baseball is, you know, now that it's back and once the product actually comes on the field, People aren't going to care about the labor negotiations or whatever. They're just going to be happy that it's back and that there's a diversion, you know, uh, from this COVID and from everything else that's happening in the world and that some American sports are back. And some key words that are brought from this discussion is when you see the words impose and when you see mandate, you basically at that point, you know, it's happening. There's no kind of wish wash on, hey, that like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Like at this point, it's mandated, like whether the some players decide to sit out or not, the season's going to happen at this point. There's no um, negotiations anymore. You, you know, whether you agree with the owners, whether you agree with the players, both were at fault in some aspects. And I think we're all disappointed on how everything transpired between them. But again, at this point, that's kind of under the bridge because baseball's happening. We're going to focus on the positive. Again, this may be detrimental down the road for future seasons, but we're going to focus on the now and, and that we have a 60-game season to look forward to. There's going to be so much that's going to affect fantasy. I mean, guys that normally 
aren't going to be as valuable or be more valuable. Guys that are more valuable might not be as valuable. There's going to be create so much more discussion on these uh, for these players and and teams that like maybe like uh talking about teams the Seattle Mariners last year how quickly they started and tapered off and the Nationals how bad they started before they got good teams like that that are going to in 60 games make the playoffs mm-hmm. and everybody has hope so uh Art I'll start with you what do you think are there teams that could somehow be dark horses and and in the 60 game season are there certain players that first come to your mind I know this is kind of raw reactions but what are what are some teams or players that come to your mind that benefit or don't benefit from this I think well every team has a chance can get hot so so this is a really tough question to answer I think every team can get hot one of the teams that I'm really interested in and this just came to my head is the Texas Rangers. They've really upped their pitching staff with uh, with Corey Kluber, with uh, with with depth with Jordan Lyles. They're bringing back uh, uh, Lance Lynn, and they're bringing back Mike Miner. I think they I, – I can't remember their five, but the, the Rangers, I think, are a team that could surprise uh, because in a short – they don't have to outlast Houston for 162. They have to – be one game better than them over 60. And I think the Rangers have the type of team that that they could come off with and, and win 35 to 40 out of, you know, out of their first 60 and start off hot. So I like them. They're a team that I think is, is put together well. Uh, and I and again, I'm going to come back on the White Sox. I think they're a team that's put together well for a short run. They're a team who I predicted a few weeks ago were going to make the playoffs this year. The White Sox and the Rangers are two teams that I really like how they've been uh, put together and, and their, how their GMs have added to their teams this season. So they have a good chance to improve over just a 60-game season to, to snag one of those playoff spots. I agree. I, I think those are some good teams to have brought up. Eric, same question for you. Are there certain teams, certain players that you're interested in, in talking about or looking at in the shortened season? I agree with the points Art made. The team that first came to my mind was in Cincinnati Reds. You know, they spent a lot this offseason – um, getting Shogo Akiyama, uh, Eugenio Suarez has healed up, uh, Castellanos, Mike Moustakas, um, you know, somebody like Aristides Aquino that got hot, you know, could he get hot to begin the season? Uh, and then they're pitching Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer for a year, Anthony DeSclafani, Wade Miley. I mean, that that's a team with a lot of depth. And I think in a short season, you know, that they have a lot of veterans on that team. And I think nobody that's too old that you have to worry about conditioning or their body, um, you know, not having the the benefit of a longer spring training. Um, so I definitely think that they can make a run. But like Art said, any team can get hot. A team like the Pittsburgh Pirates that are thought to be a bottom tier could start out really well and sits at 60 games, you know, capture the division. Yeah. And, and one of the things that comes to my mind and one team that stands out to me also is the Padres, which wasn't mentioned. I think that they have a lot of good pieces in place. And one thing that comes to my mind is we're talking about since the minor league season, I think is pretty much an afterthought at this point, which players are going to be the taxi cab players, which ones are going to be the one that they're going to carry on the major league rosters in the shortened season, the Nate Pearsons of the world, the Mackenzie Gores of the world, mm-hmm. uh, all those types of guys that uh, have young, great upside, and that aren't going to have a minor league season to be able to develop. And 
which teams are going to basically say, this is a win now season. This isn't, we're just talking as a rebuilding year. Everybody has a chance. So which guys are going to be called up and which guys you should, if you already drafted who you're going to pick up in free agency. And if you haven't drafted, which guys might bump up to be draftable now. Um, one guy for me is Mackenzie Gore. Again, I just mentioned him. Uh, I'm, I think he's the best minor league pitcher in baseball. I think he's going to be an amazing big league pitcher and uh, someone that I probably will go pick up in fantasy leagues. I, I, I can't see a team like the Padres not promoting him. I can't see with Nate Pearson, how he started in the, in spring training, not being on the active roster. Again, you have, uh, there's so many kind of, uh, you know, Joe Adele's of the world. Um, you know, the, we talked about the white Sox with Nick Madrigal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see which teams, uh, call up these players to be part of the shortened major league season. Um, so I think that's going to create a lot of good discussion down the road to see which, teams elect to use this young talent, which teams elect to kind of just stash it away for a future season. So Art, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think they have to use everyone who's close. They have to use those guys because the alternative is these people losing an entire year of development. Uh, They're not going to have a minor league season. So if you are a top level person, you're going to get a chance to play. Even if you just played in double-A last year, if you're a guy who they do not want to lose a year of your development, they're going to give you a chance to perform. I mean, I'm not going to get into theorizing what they're going to do as far as service time goes from this, but I because because who knows? I mean, the grievances, grievances, grievances. Um, but every player who is close, I think, comes up because there's no reason – to sit people for an entire year when you have an expanded roster, you can play more players, you can give more people shots, and 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 maybe one of those guys, maybe a guy who is just in Double A, maybe he pops off and becomes really good this year, and you find a, you fi- figure out early that he's really good. I think everyone who's close gets a chance. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Arden. I think we could see a, a situation similar to the Tampa Bay Rays when they brought David Price up at the end of the year, and he was in a bullpen role and then developed into a starter. So rather than throwing a Mackenzie Gore or a Nate Pearson and having them be in the rotation and maybe ruining their confidence if they're not ready for that, you put them in for an inning or two at a time. You know, and later in the game when hitters are used to or when hitters have seen a different pitcher to begin, and this is their first time seeing them, and they don't have that scouting report. I agree. In a shortened season, and who knows what the future of baseball is going to look like after this, you don't want to stunt development of players that you think you know have potential to eventually be on your big league roster. Again, I can't disagree with anything you guys said. This is we're all, I think, our emotions have been through such an up and down through this whole process, and it's finally nice to say, regardless of what the future says, baseball's back. Baseball is back, baby. Your host is is. I'm ecstatic. I'm just words can't describe how happy I am to be able to watch some baseball this season. And have you guys uh, ever been on the Superman ride at Six Flags where it goes really up and then has that huge drop? That's been David this entire time. Just <laughs> put that in a continuous loop. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, I, I and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and I'm looking all this up and I'm reacting in real time. Uh, there's a, uh, a tweet that's been passed around by Trevor Bauer. And I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to quote it right now. 
it kind of says better than what I have said about this whole deal. Trevor Bauer, once again, the sage of baseball. It is absolute death for this industry to keep acting as it has been. Both sides. We're driving the bus straight off of a cliff. How is this good for anyone involved? COVID-19 already presented a lose-lose-lose situation, and we've somehow found a way to make it worse. Incredible. He's right. As far as labor relations, it couldn't be worse. We get baseball, though. Trevor, you got a pitch. We get baseball. But you're right. You're right, Trevor. You said it better than I could. You guys couldn't come to an agreement. You guys both have to sit on your hands for the rest of the car ride, okay? But we're getting to the we're getting to the amusement park anyways. So players and owners, sit on your hands for the rest of the car ride. Don't talk. No arguing. Let's get to the amusement park. And one thing I'm going to add to that, Trevor Plouffe, who's was the first one to kind of be on all this when uh, people were kind of like confused when he first came out with everything. He says, for people mad about the when and where, the 60 games wasn't without a caveat. Expanded postseason, universal DH, ability to file grievance are all chips. You don't give up all three of those things just for 12 extra games. So I think that was kind of interesting way he put that right there. Um, guys, are there anything else you guys want to touch on in this kind of live raw reaction to the season? starting to the season actually happening. Uh, I mean, the fact that this is just getting implemented, um, you know, it, it's, it's weird. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I see some players going, why did, you know, wondering why, why it wasn't accepted because I do think that as this all comes down, it's, it's been it's been a long roller coaster ride to get to this point, and uh, really the fact that I I don't know what the grievances they were going to file was it contract grievances, was it was it incentive grievances which 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 incentives you lost out because of the season, uh, I mean these are all things that could have been worked out, um, but you know. If the alternative is agreeing to something you don't like and playing or not agreeing to something and still playing, you know, I can understand why the players did that because they want to play. Obviously, they're still playing, but they did not want to give up their, their right for grievances. And I, and I, I don't know their labor negotiations well enough to know which grievances they would be giving up if they gave it up. So I'm not going to fault them for that right now and trevor plouffe is 100 percent right eric what are your closing thoughts um i think that even though we're all happy uh baseball's back let's not forget that rob manfred should not have a job uh he didn't punish any players in the astros scandal only the gm and manager hashtag fire manfred you got to make sure you get that in i'm sure you always do every episode now um well announcement before we get to our last part we're going to get to and uh i just want to make sure everybody knows we started our twitter uh trip play fantasy you know of course short for triple play fantasy we started that in march and we are almost at 600 followers so we really want to uh make sure we acknowledge everybody and really appreciate the well-received kind of welcome we've had on twitter we've really been at this uh since pretty much late february didn't make the socials until March, and and you guys have been so nice to us. The community has been so great, and we love, love, love 
the response that we've been getting from you guys. So we really appreciate everybody reaching out on social media and we hope to continue growing as the months and months go by. We'll have a lot of future things like giveaways and promotions and other things as we keep growing. So we really appreciate the feedback. We would also always appreciate if you're enjoying the content to please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you aren't subscribed to the pod. And again, if you leave us a review, we will always shout you out on each show. We want to make sure we want to shout out everybody that's taken the time to leave us a review. So we really, really appreciate the positive feedback received from each and every one of you. So thank you. With that said, there was a time back in 2005 when baseball came back to Washington and there was excitement in the air. And we wanted to bring you the same type of excitement that we have right now with the same type of excitement that came back to Washington in 2005. And we did that by having an interview with the closer of the Nationals. He was with the Expos when they were in 2004, and he was the closer the first season in Washington with the Nationals. That's Chad Cordero. And if you don't remember Chad Cordero, he actually won the Rolaids Relief Man of the Year in 2005, had the second most amount of saves in a three-year span, only to Trevor Hoffman. He was a very good closer in the mid, uh, early mid-2000 area. So... Uh, for those hardcore baseball fans that remember him, uh, you know you remember how great he is. For those that aren't quite as familiar, just it's really a big treat to listen to his career. And and he, you know, was kind enough to share his time with us and and allowed us to ask pretty much any question we wanted to ask. So we really hope you pre- uh, you appreciate how great of an interview he was. He was a blast to talk to, and we will play the interview for the rest of the episode. So we hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks again for listening. We will catch you guys in our next episode. Play on, players. We welcome in a man that knows how to deal with pressure situations on the baseball diamond. An MLB All-Star, Rolaids Relief Man of the Year winner, and a man with a career 289 ERA. Yeah, I didn't stutter. He won 20 games, recorded 128 saves, and sat down 298 hitters via K in his 330 major league innings. The closer always wearing the giant hat on his head when baseball, and he was there when they turned to Washington. He is the chief. Chad Cordero. What's up, man? Uh, Not much, man. How are you guys? Pretty good, man. We appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So, uh, first and foremost, how's everything been with you and your family? With you know everything going on in the world, everything staying safe and healthy. Yeah, for the most part, everybody everybody's pretty good. Um, the kids are good. They just end up they just ended school probably about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the travel ball teams that I coach for baseball and softball we're we're starting to get going again. So um, it's 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 starting to pick up a little more. It's it's been weird kind of not being on the field like I'm used to. But at the same time, it's been awesome just to be able just to wake up and not have to worry about anything to go. Don't have to go to the field. Just can have relax, watch movies all day and just hang out. Right. And we were talking a little bit before we started the uh, the recording that if you can't you guys can't see. But Chad's got his jerseys hung up behind him. He's got his Rolex Relief Man set up. And you said it was all within the last three weeks that you kind of put that all together. 
Yeah, because for the most part, they they just kind of been hanging out in my garage. Like I put them up in the garage, and then, but nobody re- really went in there. It's like not even myself. Like we just kind of use it as a, as a storage area. So we have this movie room upstairs. So, and the walls are kind of blank. So I just decided to put everything up uh, up uh, up there. So, no, it, it, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, and the representative of a great career, which we're going to dive into right now, starting <laughs> when you were drafted in the twenty sixth round in the 2000 draft by the San Diego Padres, but you chose instead to go to Cal State Fullerton where you went on an absolutely dominant tear the next few years. And it led to you being the Fullerton regional MVP and you ended up getting drafted by the Expos 20th overall three years later. So I know uh, people definitely don't question you made the right decision, but <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about like, I, I feel like it, it's swept under the carpet how hard it is when you're drafted by a team to say no, like I'm going to go back and I'm going to increase, like how hard was that for you to to turn down being drafted and go back to school? It was, it was definitely a tough decision because I mean, I, I had at the same time, I knew I wanted to go to school. Like Fullerton was at the, at the time they were top 10 every year. I grew up maybe 15, 20 minutes away from there. So I knew, I knew the story uh, history uh, from that program. And I always, and I wanted to be a Titan. But at the same time, like even though I was drafted in the 26th round, the Padres kept upping their 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 uh, their offer to me. So like I think their their initial offer was I think for like ten thousand dollars, and um, it was pretty easy to say no to that. I mean, granted, like I didn't really care about the money. I wanted to go to school, but what made it hard was the day before I was about to step on a campus, they upped their offer to I think it was one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Ooh, uh, they- so it was a huge it was a huge increase. Um, but at the same time, like I knew I wanted to go to school. I asked my grandpa, I was like, Hey grandpa, what do you think? He's like, you should go to school. So that was, so that kind of made my, my decision a lot, a lot easier to, was to, to go to school, get my education, um, and play for one of the, one of the best programs in the history of, uh, of college baseball. Yeah. And then, so you get drafted by the Expos, they move to Washington. Um, so you undergo that transition and, researching your pitch mix a little or your pitch mix a little bit and you can correct me if I'm off on some things. You threw a fastball around 90 miles an hour which you threw 3 quarters of the time, a slider that sat around 80 to 83 that was pretty much your second pitch and then a right. changeup that you threw around the same miles per hour that you pretty much threw I saw anywhere from like 3 to 6% of the time. Um right. And then I also thought, like, in the beginning of your career, you threw a curveball a little bit, but pretty much tapered that out really quickly. And uh, so what led you to to get the pitch mix that you had, and how did you find it successful for your time in the big leagues? Uh, well, basically, I mean, my I actually never threw a curveball. Everybody thought I threw a curveball. It's just how, it's, for some reason, that's just how my, my slider came out every now and then. So I was really, I was really fastball slider changeup, and um, I had a curveball in high school. But once I went to got to college at Fullerton, um, they kind of nixed that right away, and really just had me focus on my fastball um, because my fastball was able to locate where uh, pretty much wherever I wanted to, and that's really something that I that I learned when I was at school was really how was really how to pinpoint it because I didn't throw very hard not even you know even even in college I think college every now and then I, I would I would touch like 94 95 on occasion but for the most part I sat 90 91 um, and for a closer even even back then that wasn't very hard um, so I had to rely on mix, mixing up my pitches learning how to locate my fastball um, but then I think my junior year from what I remember I remember I was joking, I was talking talking with my coaches one time and I think I threw 
10 off-speed pitches my entire junior junior season at Fullerton. I threw oh, wow. 100% fastballs, and that's because I was able to locate it at any time, any 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 time in the count, any any spot on on the plate. Um, and that's really kind of how, what made me so dominant was I knew how to pinpoint my location, um, and that's where I, I learned it at, at college. So when I learned when I went up to the big leagues and 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 started playing. Um, it was the same thing, you know. I knew if, if I could just locate my fastball, even though if I even though I didn't throw it very hard, if I can if I can lo- locate my fastball and mix it up a little bit, go in and out, up and down, I'd I'd, I'd be pretty successful. And um, I think even up there, I didn't really throw many sliders or changeups for the most part. So I asked this to any pitchers that we've had on our show, and in today's day and age, a lot of it people are talking about blowing hitters away with high velocity, throwing fastballs up in the zone. Do you feel that it's a lost art of locating in today's day and age and everybody just wants to throw heat and just blow guys away? I think so. Um, Because, I mean, if if you paid attention for the last couple of years, everybody's trying to throw as hard as they can pretty much. Mm -hmm. And big hitters, they can can hit that. But the guys who are successful are the ones who who can – pinpoint the location guys who can who can who can throw inside Cause a lot of guys nowadays even though they throw hard they don't want to they don't want to throw inside um so if you can throw inside and you can locate your fastball um that's what's going to get get guys out because it's called pitching it's not called throwing mm-hmm. you know uh, but too many guys nowadays are they're so worried about lighting up that radar because that's what teams and that's what they think scouts want to see is how hard you can throw but it's really about pitching and locating your pitches Right. So, Chad, David mentions that, you know, you relocated in 2004, the Montreal Expos uh, moved to Washington and became the Nationals. Most players don't go through this. They might go through trades. But what was the experience like relocating, especially to another country? (laughs) It was it was it was weird because at the same time, like, yeah, you know, we didn't in Montreal, we didn't have a whole lot of fans that, that 04 season, but at the same time, like the fans that did come, they were very passionate about the game. And Montreal is, is, is a great city. It's, it's beautiful up there. Um, and a lot, a lot of guys who, who played up there, they love that city. So it was very hard to, to kind of, to, to leave there. I mean, I only played there for just over a year, but I, I grew to love that city. Um, it was, it was something I, I always look, look forward to going back home and playing, playing in Montreal, um, the stadium wasn't that great, but at the same time, the people who did go, they were very passionate about the game. They loved the Expos. They were very sad to see us to, to see us leave. Um, but when we found out we were going to Washington D.C., it was like, oh my gosh, you know, we 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 have a home. We know we're going to have a place to play. Um, we're not in limbo anymore. We're not we're not going to get contracted because that was a big big thing too. Is we thought we were going to get contracted too for a long time. Um, but once we found out we were going to the nation's capital, I, w- I was excited because I, I love history. So to be able to play in the, in the nation's capital, to, to be around all the monuments and to have a chance to go and visit all the stuff that I grew up learning about in, high, in, in school was, for me, it was a dream come true. Um, but up until that point, not knowing where we were going, it was a little bit nerve wracking, not knowing what, what was going to happen, if we were going to, if we were going to relocate, where were we going to, where were we going to relocate? Cause there was, I think we were here in Las Vegas. I think Portland was one of them. Um, I think, um, Monterey city, Me- uh, Mexico was one of them, even Puerto Rico too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really weren't, we weren't sure what was going to happen if we were going to get even have a, have a team or maybe even just, you know, move to a new city. So once we found out we were going to Washington DC for sure, it was a real, it was a huge weight off our back and we were just able to relax and get ready for that, for that new season. 
Do you think that played a factor in your 2005 season? I think it's fair to say that that was probably the best of your career. 47 saves, a 1.82 ERA, .97 whip, and you can't see, the viewers can't see, but behind you is the Rolaids Relief Man Award. <laughs> um, was there something that just clicked for you that year? Um, I think so. I For me, it was having the confidence of Frank Robinson um, behind me because he helped me out tremendously. I mean, he, he, even my, my rookie year in 04, he helped me out. Because I when I first came up, I knew I, I could, I belonged, but I was kind of nibbling around the play, afraid to give up contact. And he kind of, he pulled me in his office one time and, um, and told me, you know, just to go right after him, basically, you know, like the, I was up there for a reason and to, to prove to him why I was up there basically. Um, so having his confidence, having the confidence of a hall of famer, one of the best players ever put on the, on a baseball uniform, have your back the way he did that, that really helped me. But also too, seeing the enthusiasm of the fans in DC, a, a, a city that hadn't had baseball in, in 30 years, um, seeing our you know our stadium filled up every day in and day out was that was that was pretty cool and we can we were able to feel that all the energy that that the fans gave off eric you forgot to mention that he had made an all-star team that year just just make sure you <laughs> i thought <laughs> it went that. without saying when i said roll h relief man award <laughs> fair fair um chad you <clears throat> played in the national league for a lot of your career do you wish you got chances to hit oh i, uh, <clears throat> I actually did i had eight at bats i and yep, was really? and I, okay. yep, I had eight at bats um, and I was scared every every single one of those at bats. <laughs> uh, I remember I was the last out of the, of the 06 season. I remember we were, we were facing the Mets. It was the last game of the season. It was the last game that Frank was ever going to manage. And I think we were we were down by like four or five. And I threw I threw the ninth inning and Frank was like, hey, if, you, if your spot gets up, do you want to hit? I was like, heck, yeah, I do. So I <laughs> I struck out, but I remember I was facing Aaron Heilman and he threw a fastball like at my head where it made me like back up. And almost, I almost fell um, in the batter's box because it got so close to my head. And then he decided the very next pitch to paint a fastball on the outside corner. I'm like, I'm a, like, what? I can't do anything. I'm scared. I'm already scared to death. You just threw a fastball on my head. And now I'm going to pick one on the outside part of the plate. Like, that's not fair. So and that's how I struck out. And that was a lot. That was my last at bat of my career. And that was, a, unfortunately, that was the last out that, Frank ever ever uh, had as as a manager. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so well, you mentioned you mentioned last out. You threw the final pitch at Olympic Stadium and RFK. How does it feel being a part of history where you throw the final pitch at two stadiums? <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, I I remember uh, a lot of my friends when I first came when I when I came back home after after I after I closed out the the or RFK. And they're like, you realize just what you just did, right? I'm like, yeah, but like, like that's that's probably not ever going to be done ever again, most likely. Um, but it was cool, you know. I remember, I remember in Montreal, they asked me, hey, that, the Hall of Fame asked if I want if I wanted to give up my hat and my glove to the Hall of Fame. I was like, heck yeah, I do. So they took it. They they took my hat and my glove after after that game and put it up in the Hall of Fame up up in up in Cooperstown. It was on display for I think for about five or six years. I think it was. Um, but it's kind of cool to be, to, to know that I closed down, you know, two big league stadiums, which, I mean, that's a rarity in, in, in and of itself. And it, let alone uh, to be able to close two of them. You close the door on games and you close the door on stadiums, man. That's the, the, <laughs> the whole edge right there. Hiram Bithorn stadium. You close the door on Hiram Bithorn stadium as well in Puerto Rico. Uh, or 
I said I actually played there twenty or thirty games in '04. Uh, yeah, think. we were playing. So they count. They count closing down three stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that one. That's kind of that's, that's to me. That's awesome. I don't. I don't know if we have a, a reference for that, but I'd be willing to bet that you're the only pitcher that's closed down three stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. That's awesome. So obviously pitched, you know, a, a bunch of years in the big leagues. I'm sure you must have had some memorable battles that come to mind, whether it's a big name hitter or just a, a just kind of a, a mental battle just in particular. Is there is there one or two guys or, or certain at bats that you remember that really stuck with you? Uh, you know, thinking back on your career? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always, there's two guys that I would struggle with and that was Chipper and Andrew Jones. And unfortunately they hit back to back. And so I faced them a lot. Like I, I had success with, uh, against them for probably like my first two, two and a half years. And then halfway through that, my, that third year, everything that I threw was either over the fence or off the top of the wall against them. <laughs> so it was always a struggle, a struggle against them, but it was, I mean, I, it was fun and I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, those, those two hitters having to face them back to back, that really, that, that still st- like stings, stings me like really good. So there's no shame. And I mean, those are two amazing hitters. <laughs> have you, have you ever talked to them outside? Like once you retired or was it like, once you were done facing him, you're like, I don't want to ever see you again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think I joked around with Chipper a little bit after I saw him. I, I saw him a little bit when I threw out the first pitch a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, in the regular season, but uh, I never I never had a chance to talk to Andrew. But I just always wanted to know like what it was that that they tipped off, like that that they got off me because everything mm-hmm. I threw didn't matter if I threw a changeup, a slider, or a fastball, they they hit and they hit hard. So. Towards the end of your career, you suffered a labrum tear missed all of the 20 or 2008 season. And in October, the Nationals wanted to send you to AAA Syracuse and you rejected the assignment. And when I read more about this, it was reported that the GM at the time, Jim Bowden, said basically on a radio show that you were going to be non-tendered. And this didn't happen to me. And I got mad reading it. So, like, I can completely understand why you would reject it. But was had he given you any kind of inclination before that appearance that there was a chance that you might not be back with the Nationals? Um, no, honestly, like I that the first time I heard it, I heard it was through the it was through the radio and I didn't even hear it through the radio myself. Um, a, f- a couple of friends of, of my, my parents who are still who are in D.C., they heard it. And so they told my my dad and then my dad told me about it. And then I talked to my agent about it and like. Like, yeah, that was the first time we heard of it. I mean, but I had to say, but I I had an idea that I was gonna get non tendered. I didn't expect to to find out two weeks after my surgery over mm-hmm. the radio like that. Um, so that was that was disappointing, and that and that kind of hurt a little bit. No, I mean I, that was a it's, a it's an organization I was with my entire career up until that point. You know, I I would I would have loved to have finished off my career, played my entire career with with, with the Nationals. Um, it was just disappointing the, the way, the way I found out and the way it all happened, but you know, there's no ill will toward, toward, towards Bowden at all. I mean, it, it, it's business and that's just how it, how it, you know, how it goes sometimes in, in the game. So Shad, you initially retired in June, 2011 at 29 years old, and you had a, a minor comeback to attempt in 2013, but at 29 years old, I feel like you had plenty left in the tank and we've seen relief pitchers, Fernando Rodney, Tom Gordon, go into their, you know, late thirties and forties. Why mm. did you hang it up at the time? Um, I mean, at, at the time I was going through a couple of things. Um, that, my daughter had passed away um, after the 2010 season. 
And I tried to, I tried to come back in 2011 and, and play, um, but my heart just wasn't into it anymore. Um, my, my arm was okay. My pa- I could have done it, but my, my, my heart, my, and my, my head just, I just wasn't into playing anymore. So I stepped away for, for about a year and a half, almost two years, coached high school. And then I kind of started to get the itch again to play. But by that time I, it was just, I was, you know, I felt like I was a little bit too old to come back and played one more year, but, um, that was it. And, um, so I just decided to move, to move on and, and move forward with, with, with my next chapter in, in, in life. And in that next chapter, I, I, I'm assuming I read this today. Are you still doing, are you still a bullpen, uh, bullpen coach for the Billings Mustangs of the pioneer uh, league for the Reds? Uh, not anymore. Um, I, I coached, I coached at Fullerton with, with Fullerton for two years. Um, and then I went, went on and coached with the Reds for two years in, in their Miley system. But, um, I liked, I enjoyed pro ball, but my kids were still young. My oldest mm-hmm. just turned 11 a couple of weeks ago. My youngest is eight right now. So, you know, I, w- I wanted to be back home and uh, a lot closer, a lot closer to them. Um, and so now I get to see them a lot, a lot more and hang out with them, get to go to their, all their school functions and um, all their baseball and softball games, soccer, music recitals, whatever they have. I, I have a chance to go to because when I was coaching, you know, I, I missed I missed too much. And when when kids are, are that age, when they're so young, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to feel like I was missing out on on on, on their entire uh, youth, their youth life pretty much. So. I, I was watching. Um, I see that you uh, you you're involved with a youth baseball team called Ruthless Baseball, yeah. and uh, link them up with Cal State Fullerton. Is that your son's team? <laughs> no, he he's still. I mean, he he. We don't have a, a an age a age group for him yet. But right now yeah. we have uh, we have a 10 U team, uh, a 12, a 13, 14, and 16s. So I I run the whole organization, and I also help out uh, my fiance's uh, softball organization too. So I'm, so I'm awesome. doing a little bit of everything. It's it's fun. I love giving back to the to the game and coaching coaching the youth and hopefully helping you know at least one or two kids get 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 to where I was. But it's it's awesome. I it's very rewarding to be able to coach coach youth like that. Um, how were they? How'd they handle the coronavirus? Basically shutting down the first few months of their season. They must have been crushed. <laughs> yeah, it was it was difficult. I mean, they were they were all itching to get back out there. I mean just like I was. Um, I don't think, I think a lot of them didn't really understand, um, just how severe really, it really was. Um, they just, they just knew that they were, they weren't able to go to school. They weren't able to play sports or see their friends. And they didn't really understand why for the most part. Um, but lately for, for, with my, with my team, we've been getting out there for like the last two or about two weeks or so small groups, nothing, nothing too big. I still, we still don't, I still don't want groups of more than, of more than like five or six, six kids at a time. Um, but, we're, we're we're slowly getting back into it um trying trying to get them back out there and getting used to being out there playing again and uh, you can you can tell they some of them haven't been doing a whole a whole lot since <laughs> months off, but, um for the most part they are they are pretty good and um they were doing some stuff but there was a couple of kids you can tell just they just really enjoy being at home playing video games and stuff like that so. yeah <laughs> So, Chad, pre-coronavirus times, you threw out the first pitch, Game 3 of the World Series, and I read that you were nervous. Was that the most <laughs> nervous you've ever been on the mound? Yeah, I would say that was probably the second most nervous. The most <laughs> I, ever, I ever was when I threw, was when I threw out my, the first pitch to my son for his Little League uh, opening day in back in March. Um, that was probably, I was probably more, more nervous then, but up until that point, yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I remember... From the time, um, from the time I got the phone call saying that, asking if I wanted to do it, I, I was nervous from that point, all the way up until by the time I released that pitch. 
I remember, I remember getting off the, the plane and my hands were shaking. My, I was sweaty. And, <laughs> I, I don't want to embarrass myself, you know, like here it is. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I've thrown, you know, I don't know how many pitches in, in a big league stadium, but this is the, this is game three of the world series, the first world series played in DC. And I don't even know how many years. And if I bounced it or threw one wide or where, where Schneider couldn't catch it, then I probably wouldn't have been able to live that down. So um, it was very nerve wracking. And I'm, I'm just glad I was able to throw it to throw it somewhat around the strike zone. I remember watching that, and David and I have been Nationals fans since they've relocated. We live in the D.C. area, and there was that good element of nostalgia seeing the the battery between um, <laughs> you and Schneider. So, you know, great moment for the hardcore Nats fans that have been there through the struggle. Yeah, it was it was awesome. When, it, when they told me Schneider was going to be a part of it, I mean, that, that made me so happy. And I, I wish they would have brought back more original Nationals for, for that game, for that um, opening ceremony. Um, for game three, but having him back there, we were catching, catching the first pitch. That was, I mean, they couldn't have asked for, for, for a better guy to, to, to catch. So if I take you and Brian Schneider and Schneider, and I put you guys, you guys are in a backyard somewhere. No one's watching you. And he's like, give it to me as fast as you can. What are you topping out at right now? Probably like 78. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's good, <laughs> man. That's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I probably I could probably throw a little bit harder, but not much. But most likely, I'm gonna throw my knuckleball if, I'm, if we're doing something like that. Yeah. Ooh, Reinvent yourself as a knuckleballer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Chad, we always end our interviews. We do a little bit of a rapid fire. So okay. I'm gonna ask you ten questions. Some of them are extremely weird. You probably would be asked for the first time ever in your life. Just whatever comes to your mind first, okay? Okay. All righty. All right. Record a save or get a teammate out of a jam? Get a, get a teammate out of a jam. Okay. We've, uh, we've been talking to pitchers, and it seems like that's like the best feeling as a pitcher more yep. than anything. Yep, exactly. Um, French fries or onion rings? Onion rings. Okay. Nice, nice. Who's hotter, Wonder Woman or Catwoman? Catwoman. Yeah. All Ooh. black? <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Uh, rewind your life or be able to pause your life? Oh, probably pause it. Pause it? Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. It's spaghetti through a straw or through a blender? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, through a straw? <laughs> oh, that's that's the right answer. <laughs> um, nipple-sized fingers or finger-sized nipples? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nipple sized fingers, I guess. <laughs> that might affect if you were pitching, but I, I, that's a good pick. Listen to listen to Justin Bieber or watch the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel, they got some good Christmas stuff. I, I agree, that's a good answer. Fight a hundred duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? Oh, let's do the hundred horse sized or duck sized horses. That's you know what you're the first person we've ever interviewed to give that answer. I like it. <laughs> yes, everybody always picks the horse-sized duck because they're like, oh, I could just take one horse-sized duck. That's no problem. <laughs> I like it. Um, so your nickname's the Chief. Is your favorite team the Kansas City Chiefs? My nope. My favorite team is the Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders now. Uh, okay. Oh, that's so you're yeah. my rival. That's I, I don't like that answer. <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, <laughs> 
All right, last question. A month in the desert with friends or a month on a reality show with idiots? Oh, let's go with the friends. So the tough environment, but with good company. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't do idiots. No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, man, this was awesome. We, I know how valuable your time is, so we really appreciate you coming on our show. This was a blast for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you want to see more of Chad, he's really awesome. He's on. He's at Chad Cordero 32 on the IG and on Twitter. Thanks so much again, Chad. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.